Welcome to the Caption Life Show. And today we have a very special guest. You might know his work from Batman or Swamp Thing, Noctera, Barnstormers. Scott Snyder joins us and we talk to him about his love for Elvis. We talk about religion and spirituality. We also talk about his time when he was a cast member at Disney World. Our episode highlight is Short Box Summary Podcast. They are a comic book podcast that takes titles and movies from the mid 2000s and talks about them. I will put a link to their show in the show notes below. And last thing, Thing. Do not forget to give us a rating or review on your podcast player of choice. Let us know what you think of the show so that way we know what to keep doing and what you don't want us to keep doing. Let's go ahead and get started. Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecaptionlife.com. So today we have a very special guest on the show, and that is Scott Snyder. He has written comics for both DC and Marvel, including the best-selling series American Vampire, Batman, and Swamp Thing, and is the author of the story collection Voodoo Heart from the Dial Press. He taught writing at Sarah Lawrence College, New York City, and Columbia University. He lives on Long Island with his wife, Jeannie, and his three sons. He is a dedicated and unironic fan of Elvis Presley. Scott, welcome to The Caption Life. How are you doing tonight? I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. This is like a long time in the in the planning. I, I, I'm a fan and I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be invited. I appreciate that. And I this just like you said, this has been a while because I was messaging you uh, through Comic Watch to see if you can come on the Caption Life to talk about this. And I appreciate your flexibility because I think we started trying to set something up back in March. And then yeah. I know we finally got a date down. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, we both realized that our original date to record was Father's Day. Oh, and we're yeah. like, that's probably not a good time. <laughs> so, yeah, I appreciate you being flexible. And as I mentioned um, to you earlier before, before we start recording, I wanted to get you on the show. You're one of my top people that I want on the show um, for a number of reasons. And uh, one of the things, and, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but I've actually met you twice at two different conventions. Once at uh, Memphis Comic Expo is the first time I met you there. Um, and then recently at C2E2. And I got to say... You are one of the nicest and most like humble people in the industry that I've met uh, in my entire life. Like it was really you. It was a great having a conversation with you. Like it just seemed like we we're just you know like two people just talking about whatever. And it, and and it was it was a really great conversation. Um, and I really respect you because of that. And and oh, I really. I, I really just like you um, as a writer, but also as a as a person, because I can't tell you just like how great of experience that was like sitting at the table C2E2. Um, I feel like I could be talking to you like for hours on end just because you are very approachable and just very nice and everything. So I, I can't say enough nice things about you. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that, brother. Thank you for saying that. I, I like I remember meeting you at C2E2 and, um, you know, it was a pleasure. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, so your bio says you're unironically an Elvis Presley fan. Tell me a little bit more about that. <laughs> oh, I am. I am. I am. I uh, I uh, I got into it when I was at my son's age, when I was about 16, 17. I am um, basically like I, uh, I, I grew up in New York City and mm-hmm. when I was about 13, 14. My dad, who was... Uh, 
you know, uh, in the Air Force and then uh, a resident uh, for for uh, for medicine um, suddenly became a doctor. And uh, it was like, you know, a doctor in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, all of a sudden he was making money and we went from being kind of more working class to, you know, um, middle class, upper middle class. And uh, I went to a really preppy school all of a sudden and I was really kind of confused by it. Um, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of sort of wealthy New York City kids. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of was like, what can I like that nobody is going to like? Like, what's the thing that <laughs> no one here will like? And it was like Elvis, like nobody will like Elvis Presley. <laughs> and this, right. And so at first it was this kind of like active, you know, <laughs> like this is going to be my thing. And then <laughs> I, I just genuinely fell in love with it. I listened to the Sun Sessions first and uh, the Sun Sessions are Elvis's first recordings from when he's a teenager. He's like 17, mm-hmm. 18, about the age I was. And uh, he's like this kind of pimply, you know, completely broke, like insecure guy who goes into the studio uh, and comes in dressed like, you know, a rock star already and just melds all these things together and, and sings like, you know, someone on fire. And mm-hmm. it was really inspiring to me. And I love that moment, this kind of strange moment, this lightning in a bottle, not just of him, but of all these singers from blues singers, um, you know, uh, Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf and him and Carl Perkins, all these people making something new and being being different and all of that. And so I fell in love with that whole era. And then that was a rabbit hole where I just went down and, you know, then I, I loved Elvis in the fifties and the sixties and seventies. There's kind of an Elvis for every stage of your, of your mm-hmm. life, you know, where it's like <laughs> you're feeling down. There's all these kind of movies to pick you up like Viva Las Vegas. You're feeling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's all kinds of stuff to celebrate, but it was kind of became my, like, you know, my, uh, my, my spirit animal for like a kid with a lot of anxiety, having sort of, a uh, you know, uh, an idol who essentially had nothing going for him whatsoever. Um, and believed already and dressed like the part of being this great rock star gave me a lot of confidence when I was a teenager to, um, to believe that I could be a writer. Uh, I wanted to be a comic artist and writer at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but believe that I can kind of follow those things. And so from that age to now, he's, yeah, he's always been sort of my favorite. I have a, like over there, a, a glass from his, from um, his, his house. Like that was, I, I got it in an auction from some of his stuff. It's like a, a whiskey tumbler <laughs> from his house in LA. And uh, I have Elvis tattoos. Uh, I have like uh, from when I was. Oh te- yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> got, like, I, I don't know if it's like weirdly inappropriate or whatever, but I have like, nah. I don't know if you can, you can't see it unless I, <laughs> I'm too old for this, but like, I have like mature. Oh yeah. Know? The classic pose. Yeah. And then on the other side, I have this one I got when I was like crazy young, but um, uh-huh. I have young, this one I got when I was uh, I don't know, like a teenager before I probably was allowed to get it, but a young Sullivan <laughs> show. So Right. Yeah, it was, it's been a it's been a constant throughout my life, and uh, you know, uh, I think the 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 fun of it is is you know finding something that makes you believe you can kind of do what you 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 know you want, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and believing in yourself that way. So yeah, that's long. I, I've never done that. I, I don't mean to like strip on your show, but the, <laughs> the uh, I think that's a first for this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm uh, and yeah. So, and my kids have Elvis names too, which is yeah, but yeah, my wife put up with it. 
Jack, Pres- <laughs> Jack Presley was our first. Jack, mm-hmm. his middle name is Presley. Our middle one, Emmett, his middle name is Aaron. Uh-huh. And then we were like, if we're lucky enough to have a third, which we didn't think we could have, then I get to put, make the middle name Elvis, whether it's a girl or a boy. And so, yeah, boy. And so it's Quinn Elvis. His middle name is Elvis. Which <laughs> everybody when you meet some Snyder. So, oh, that's awesome. I, just, I love it. I've been to Graceland many times, and uh, I love. I just love that kind of. Um, that bravado, you know, it was always fun mm-hmm. metal and all that stuff, that kind of feeling of like, just go for it. Just believe that you already are the rock star that you think you're, you, you can be, even when you got nothing to show for it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's a long, a long rabbit hole or a long deep <laughs> rabbit hole, but yeah, I'm always happy to talk about it and give Elvis recommendations and all that stuff. So. So when you're like writing your stories and everything, do you usually listen to Elvis music while you're doing that? Or do you usually listen to something else to get no i don't don't listen to music when i write generally i mean if i do Mm. listen to music it has to be something like that like and again like i'm a i'm a big oldies fan i'm a big you know fan i i love moments and sort of the same thing with 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 history with the stuff that i pull for for um my stories i love moments of kind of invention you know where Mm -hmm. it feels like something unique is being made because of the cultural clash of all these different things. So mm-hmm. I love the whole moment of the 1950s of um, not just again, Elvis, but also all the kind of contemporaries of that moment that were blending all these sounds of country and R and B and blues and gospel and all this stuff. And similarly, like, you know, in the, I have the moments like that in the thirties, moments like that in the seventies, moments like that. So I can listen to stuff that I've loved, like, you know, um, Motown or, or stacks, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. While I'm writing, I generally don't, but like, if there's anything I listen to when I'm writing, when I, when I, when I'm doing lettering, I listen to that. Like I listen to anything I know really well when I'm like essentially going over, cause the, the stage is started again, down a rabbit hole, but like <laughs> when I'm writing the script, the first version of it, I don't really listen to anything. And then when the art comes back in, and then I'm kind of doing a second pass and adjusting the script so it fits better with the art and sort of mm-hmm. changing it. That's when I'll, I'm always like listening to something to try and, you know, get in the, get in the groove, listen to stuff that gives me inspiration. So that's the awesome. thing where I listen to stuff. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. I'm, I'm kind of the same way where um, when I'm working on stuff at home, if it's unless it's something that's really monotonous or just mind-numbingly dull i usually don't listen to music because i find it at least at least for me distracting and that i can't really focus when i have that on the background yeah yeah i'm the same i i think it's i'm always jealous of all my every artist i work with is like i can work while i'm watching you know like forensic files or whatever what they want like every you know they they can they can work while anything is on music tv whatever but yeah <laughs> writing wise yeah i have to be pretty you know pretty kind of in a hyperbaric chamber for right like for uh for the first draft yeah yeah so you know it's funny is um with your love of elvis i grew up listening to elvis as well i i didn't have a love for him the same way you did but i will say this um 
in my childhood, I remember two distinct things about Elvis Presley um, from growing up. One is I grew up in Indianapolis, and I guess his very last concert was at Marcus Square Arena in Indianapolis. Uh, 77, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, Marcus Square Arena is not around anymore, but I remember they had like a huge plaque because um, that's where the Indiana Pacers played at the time. They had a huge plaque and like a whole memorabilia saying like this is the last concert I ever played at. Um, the other thing I remembered was I watched some sort of special when I was like eight or nine on – I don't know if it was like 60 minutes or something like that, but they're talking about the life of Elvis and how he died on the toilet or something like that. Like as a kid, that was like a really interesting thing to to hear about is, is like them explaining that. And I went to a Catholic school at the time. And apparently when I was in third or fourth grade, when they say like, you know, does anybody want to pray for anybody? Apparently for like a whole month, I would always pray for Elvis Presley, even though he died like 15 years ago. <laughs> I must have just felt bad that he died on the toilet for whatever reason. Um, so those are like the two things like that I distinctly remember um, for Elvis Presley. Uh, when it comes to my childhood and, and <laughs> what it means to me is, is I prayed for him constantly, apparently at school and um, Indianapolis, my hometown is where he had his last concert at. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah. I feel like it's whatever, whatever thing makes you believe it's like tapping into something. I always tell people in my class, I'm like, whatever you can tap into that makes you believe that you can do the thing that, you know, everyone is telling you, you can't or the world. Yeah. Is you can't. And that, yeah. that thing is special to you. And, and, and there's, there's, sincerity in that whatever it is it doesn't matter to me and i've ridiculous things you know some people are superstitious and the thing they believe in is a, you know some totemic thing they found or something given right. to them or or it's a ritual or it's you know somebody some cartoon or something they watch incessantly when they're feeling bad like whatever mm -hmm. it is that i believe i i'm not you know particularly religious but i am sort of spiritual about the idea of you know being able to kind of tap into things that we can't, um, that we can't, um, really perceive, you know, I always like right. think of my kids when my kids were are like, you know, babies and you look at them and how little they understand about the world where you're like, you are so dumb. Like I cannot explain <laughs> to a two year old, you know, what the internet is or what that all this stuff is happening around you that you're in America, yeah. nothing. And so mm -hmm. I'm always like, that's the human brain though. You know what I mean? Like that is the human brain. It's just, at two, who's to say that the human brain at 40, whatever, or, you know, like all that isn't just as dumb given what's happening around us in the, in the, you know, in the universe and the, you know, around us in the atmosphere. And so I like to believe that every once in a while, you're able to kind of have that strange intelligence of being able to, or gut feeling of being able to tap into things that you, um, you can't understand, you know, mm -hmm. and you're capable of understanding. And it gives me a lot of peace to feel like, well, you know, anything that you can kind of define when it comes to the afterlife, when it comes to heaven and hell or God or the devil or any of that stuff mm -hmm. has to be too reductive or simple for whatever it is. And, and instead we're kind of like a two-year-old trying to understand the internet. And so those things that give you that feeling that you're connected to something larger Whatever that is, I love those things. You know, what I, yeah. mean? I don't care oh, yeah. what somebody comes to me with in the class and is like, this thing, I, like, this is my thing. This is my great. Go with it. Whatever makes you feel connected to something, you know, spiritual in that way. I don't care if it's, you know, a, like a stuffed animal or whatever. Great. Go for mm -hmm. it. You know, because it's, yeah. 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's finding wonder. That's it. You know? And for me, that was where Elvis fit in in a sense of, you know, the, the, the magic of being like, there's no reason for this person to believe that they're going to become who they already feel like they are. Mm -hmm. And I want that. And that, that gave me that feeling. It was like, you know, I look back now, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm older and more of an elder statesman, but like, when I look back at those early years in comics, like I really feel it. I mean, I was very just, you know, same. I, I, I believed in that energy. I believed in like, I don't care if they fire me. I have to get, you know, that and that, you know, mm-hmm. what gives you that do that. I'm like do right. thing. Yeah. Tattoo it on your body. Just go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, um, it's interesting you say that because I, I grew up Catholic and I actually have a degree in Catholic studies. I'm not practicing Catholic anymore, but um, when I was growing up, I never really lived in a I, – I lived in somewhat of a strict faith household and family, but we're also pretty open to you know being respectful of other people's faiths as well too. And growing up, I always saw you know religious expression was just the – human person trying to express the unexplained in ways that they can understand. And that's why I always, I've always said that, you know, I'm a fan of religion in the sense that if it makes you a better person, then, you know, all for you, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I don't believe personally that there's like one, you know, right religion. I think all of them are valid to one certain extent, because if you believe in some sort of higher power, it's like, you know, how are we even able to understand like all those things? And so maybe, you know, each religion has a piece of the truth and not the whole truth of, you know, what's, you know, what's true about, you know, our, our presence in the universe and, you know, the, the divine and things like that. Um, so I, I didn't want to get into like a whole, you know, religious no, and theological discussion, but it's like, that's really interesting. Yeah. We did, like metal, death metal, like a lot of that stuff is, you know, it's about, it, it, it's about accepting the fact that, you know, if you feel like you can like, you know, you can define it in a way where you're creating rules for everybody, then mm. it feels, it feels, you know, false. If whatever it is for you, whether it's a a defined or a structured religion or it's, you know, going out in nature or it's like a again, it's a a rock star that you love, like whatever makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself and small, Mm -hmm. you know, small and big at the same time. To me, that's that's sort of the the Zen, like the, the 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 Nirvana is like you feel tiny because you're like like it's like. A lot of it for me, the similar feeling is like, you know, I feel like there's so many things in this country that uh, it's such a young country. Right. So where I live, mm-hmm. we're out in the woods, but everything around us, like you go into town, it's all very young. It's all, you know, strip malls and that kind of stuff. And and it, it makes you feel very self-important because all your problems are reflected in the idea that everything is built your generation or one generation ago. So right. it reinforces this idea that everything you're thinking about, everything you're living, everything you're experiencing is all there is. Mm-hmm. Going to places overseas or going out, you know, and seeing in America, particularly like the natural landscape, which we have these majestic, you know, ancient mountains and red rock, all that, whatever makes you get out of yourself and be like, you know what, my problems and my life are are small. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, I, there's this, I'm connected to something far bigger than myself. And therefore 
I am big and I am important like that, that kind of strange recursive or reflective, you know, uh, sort of belief system where you go, you know what, by becoming very small in the face of things, I can feel mm-hmm. important and, and confident as opposed to, I always feel like everything I'm thinking and believing and all of that is important. And, and that, you right. know, and, and whatever gives you that feeling of, of humility and, and absolute sort of smallness and then confidence from that. And, mm-hmm. and peace like that, whatever that is great. You know, whether that for me, like, again, that can be being religious. I, I love that and believe in that. And I have, you know, plenty of friends and family members who are, you know, religious within whatever sect um, or just finding your own way through that, you know, yeah. but it's to me that that's where the Elvis stuff fits in is it's part of a, a larger belief system at this point as I'm older, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, when I was younger, it was just, Elvis is awesome. I want to be like Elvis, and that's it. You know, <laughs> now that I'm older, it's kind of connected to a larger thing, which is more like whatever, whatever makes you feel at once, like, you know, tiny and insignificant. And at the same time, like you can do whatever, you know, free for, from that. And that you, you should be as confident as you, as you can be to, to try the things in your life that will make you happy, go for it. And that, you know, so as long as it's not hurting anybody, yeah. Or restricting anybody or whatever it is, I'm for it. That's yeah. it. Once it's you know, it's only once people start feeling like they have to tell other people how to live their lives that I feel like it starts to get, you know, to me like things that I shy away from. Right. Yeah. Man, well, these are really deep thoughts for an interview that we haven't really started yet. I know, but this is great. I know, yeah, right? <laughs> I love Sorry, this. I should have just been like, "Yes, I love Elvis." Like no, no, Elvis no, 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 no. This was. I asked a question. I wanted to know, so it was just. It was just fascinating how we went kind of went into this rabbit hole here. So I no, know, we've really cool. like <laughs> naked and talked about God. And all <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, um, Scott, I want to share with you that you're actually the first person I think we've had on the show where we're doing kind of just a interview with the writer. Usually when we have people on the show, we're talking about a maybe a, a comic book story that they're putting out or or something along those lines. This is kind of just a general interview with you yeah. as, you know, Scott Snyder, not necessarily tied to a specific project or anything. So um, to start out the interview, I want to do something that was quick and fun that we can learn a little bit more about who you are as Scott. Um, sure. So I have like a list of like 10 questions called this or that, where basically I give you like one thing or the other and you just tell me like which one you would prefer or, or like and, sure. and it, it's not a deep dive or anything you know we, uh, we might talk about it a little bit for like maybe a few seconds or something like that but it's just like you give your answer and then we'll go on to the next question so does that sound good yeah let's do it awesome okay so this is this or that with scott snyder first question pineapple on pizza yes or no 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 i'm not I mean, I love Hawaii, blue Hawaii, and I love Hawaii forever, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, not I don't a like fan. in general, so <laughs> I wouldn't put it on anything. Gotcha. Uh, next question, ninjas or pirates? Oh, that's tough, man. I love them <laughs> both. I love them both. There's no, like, I'm not trying to be diplomatic. I just, uh, I mean, but like, I grew up in an era of ninjas, man. It was like Shokasugi. And yeah. Enter the Ninja, dude, and like Ninja Two, Ninja Three, like all of that stuff. Like American Ninja. I had a, I had a like a one of those wooden katanas. I was like this chubby kid 
And I had my parents like, it's so funny. I'm like, I can't believe you let me get this stuff. I would order like ninja stuff from a catalog. <laughs> again, we lived like in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. Yeah. And there was a store. Yeah. And so I had a, a Chinese star uh, belt like that you could take oh, it off. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I would like walk around this like chubby 10 year old with like a Chinese star belt you could like twist and throw, you know, and just being like, you know, I'm sure I would have like stabbed myself in the eye, but uh, so I, what I'm, I have to go ninja, I guess. And because yeah. I grew up in an era where ninjas were, you know, the Eric, even that, like the first book, the ninja like that, I, yeah. ninjas were the thing. No, same here. I, you know, when I was growing up, it, it was the same exact thing. You know, there's, you know, all the things you listed, uh, you know, the Ninja Turtles was a huge popular thing when I was a kid. Yeah. And and um, when I was growing up, we would go to this place in Tennessee and they have all these like little souvenir, like unique um, local mom and pop shops. And one of them like sold all these kinds of ninja weaponry, which of all places, I wouldn't expect that to be in Tennessee. But just like you said, they had katanas, they had the throwing knives, the yep. uh, throwing uh, stars, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm with you. I, and I would have said the same thing, ninjas. Uh, next question, shower or bath? Shower. I always shower. I've never been into baths. Yeah. I, same here, but that's because I, I'm, I'm like a really big guy and like, I just don't fit into baths. Like I'm six foot six. So my feet always only hanging over oh, wow. the bath. Dude, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, soda or milkshakes? Oh, I'm soda. I'm drinking. <laughs> so I have like soda right now. I'm soda. <laughs> uh, hangman or rock, paper, scissors. Uh, rock, paper, scissors, I'd say. It's yeah. like I can find more moments in my life than Hangman, I would say. There you go. Uh, sandwich with crusts or without crusts? I've never had. I mean, I don't remember ever having without crusts. So my, I wasn't <laughs> like a kid that my mom cut that off. So I would just say with. Never had a Uncrustable before? No, it's before. It's like after me, after my time, I think. Oh, for real? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would you rather walk on carpet or hardwood floors? Uh, hardwood. Everything. We're all hardwood floors. This office is all hardwood. Nice. Uh, would you rather work for the news or be on the news? Oof. I don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> depends what news. You know what I mean? Like hey, why you're on the news. <laughs> in the news for, for comic news and that stuff. Um, right. But yeah, I guess I'd rather be in it. I feel feel relatively good about not having completely embarrassed myself in my life. So I feel like it would hopefully be for something somewhat neutral or positive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, country or city? Uh, I mean, that's, that's tough, man. I grew up in the city and I'm like, I, I never thought I'd leave. And now I live in like, there's like mm. deer and raccoon right out there. So right. Like I'm split. I mean, I love the country though. Now I feel like, again, like we, I can see the ocean out my studio and I'm like, it gives me a lot of, a lot of peace. Like, so, um, when I was younger city, now that I'm older, I feel like I'm, I'm more of a country guy. There you go. All right. The last question, uh, bungee jumping or skydiving. Uh, I have not done skydiving. I've done bungee jumping. I feel like, my first, I worked at Disney World um, when I was uh, uh, out of college, when I was like trying to shake my parents off my tail where they were like, <laughs> we're going to be supportive no matter what you do. And I was like, I want to be a comic book writer. And they're like, we're supportive of that. And I was like, how could you be? So I was 
I'm going to, I'm going to work odd jobs around the country and try and make you not supportive. And so I worked, I was like a janitor at Disney world and uh, mm. then I was a character and I had a, a boss there who just, he had um, skydived and then uh, uh, his shoot had not opened until the last minute. Oh my he, God. You know, he was okay. Yeah. But he had landed very hard and he had, um, he, he had, uh, uh, like, a sort of a limp, but he was, he was fine. Right. But he always, all he talked about was never go skydiving, like, ever. <laughs> and so I just remember, like, just being like, I'll never go. I promise. He's like, promise me, kid. <laughs> and so it just, it ruined me for skydiving forever. I'm sure. Like, he would just tell the story. And I remember I was like sitting there with my, like, Pluto head about to put it on, you know, and he'd be like, one more time, promise me never skydiving. <laughs> All right, okay, never, never. So, 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 do you say you were Pluto at Disney World? I was. I was Pluto. I was Buzz Lightyear, and I was um, Eeyore. And then that's because I'm five eight, five nine, and that they essentially like that's the height range for those characters. Right. So, um, I still remember like. So when I went down there, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a janitor. I was a janitor. I mean, I, I, it was the only place that like hired, it was pre nine 11 and they would hire you like that day. And mm-hmm. so I was like, all right, here, here's my thing. They're like, great, go be a janitor. So it was custodial. So I was custodial for, you know, six months or whatever it was. And I loved it. It was, it was, you know, amazing and hilarious and weird. <laughs> and um, I bet. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden they had these auditions for characters and I was like, I'm going to try that. And then I did it and they taught you a dance. You had to do this dance. that was like a, one of the seven dwarfs <laughs> where you're like, yeah, I don't know, you know, kick and then like kick. And then like you did like a kind of barrel roll and then a ta-da. <laughs> and like you went to a gymnasium and like did this with like every other hopeful character person. Uh-huh. Um I remember like they did not call me at first. And then uh, like a week later they called me and they're like, we have a couple costumes that nobody wants and if you want them like you can do it i was like i don't care what they are i'll do it uh, buzz lightyear was the first one and it was awesome because um it was foam and like nobody Mm. wanted it because it was really stiff and most of the people characters they want to move up and and to be like face characters and then to be a lot of them are aspiring actors Mm -hmm. and so they want to be expressive and buzz lightyear is like a very stiff foam (laughs) costume yeah but in like the florida heat foam is awesome because it's light and it's and you're a superhero and right. also you don't sign autographs you have a stamp because you're just like wham and so it was oh, the best cool. job in the world where you're like <laughs> i would like go up to a little kid and be like you know feel their muscle and be like whoa you're so strong you know what i mean and be like <laughs> yeah. to infinity and beyond let me have your book stamp and then like <laughs> I, I i so i i was i was and it was when toy story 2 was coming out and so like i was i mean i it, i did i like I, I was very good at that job i loved it and so i got into grad school for writing while i was there um and i i was really lucky i got into columbia and, and like it was this big thing i was you know really excited but um my boss the one i was telling you about came to me and he was like you know, uh, it was about a year in at this point and I was making like minimum wage, you know? So, but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because when you're, you're a character there, you're like, you know, you're on top of the world. I had a girlfriend. I was like, you know, this is it. This is my, I love it. And, uh, the guy's like, um, well, I have some news. He was like, you know, 
you've done a good job and there's an opportunity for you in Tokyo Disneyland. And I was like, what? And he was wow. like, he was like, and I swear to God, like, this is what he said. And I don't like, I'm probably gonna get whatever, but he was like, and they have different height requirements over there and you could be Prince Charming over there. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I was like ready to call grad school and be like, sorry, <laughs> no way. I was so into it. I was like, I can yeah. be Prince Charming. Like, are you kidding me? And, right. and my parents literally like sent my best friend down at the time to be like, we were having an intervent. You were going to, school, you were not going to like, to go so that's where your parents drew the line eventually. That was, that was, I finally like broke them and they were not supportive of that. So that was, that was the end of my Disney career, but I still have my, my card and um, I have like very fond memories of it. And it was, it was a fat, it, I think it informs a lot of my writing, honestly, because it was really fascinating in the way that, it was this very odd, it's a very odd space between fantasy and reality where, mm-hmm. because, you know, the when I was custodial in particular, I mean, I didn't make any more money when I was a, a character. Right. But it was fascinating because when you work there, you have discounts on like everything across, not just in Orlando, but all across the county. Mm-hmm. And a huge amount of discounts. They give you a book that's called Donald's Deals. At least they did 20 years ago. Right. And it would give you, you know, your your cost of living would drop like half, you know, for housing, for everything. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like you were making money, even if you're making minimum wage, because the cost of everything was lower. Mm-hmm. And meeting, I grew up in New York City, right? And, and you know, again, I had had an experience that was relatively working class and then very wealthy, you know, people around me in, in high school. And meeting people outside that sphere that, you know, were living a completely different sort of um, reality mm-hmm. and seeing the way a company could, you know, be benevolent in the way of like, hey, your cost of living drops. And then you know, when you get fired, all of a sudden you don't have anything in your bank account because you were still, still making minimum wage. Mm-hmm. That all of it, it was very fascinating. And the, the 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 hardship of being an employee who's asked to do, especially in custodial, like very hard things, like it's it's hot and you're pushing a cart with, you know, 12 garbage cans in it up a hill and you have to do it before the parade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if the, you get stuck in that parade you are stuck like you cannot move and you have got to get all those garbage cans into this stuff and get it back and put it in the evac this giant thing that sucks the garbage away and whatever yeah if you um if you don't and, and seeing that and and like that life is hard in that in that in that you know in that um job in that and you know but your job is to make up a fantasy for people that are there, that everything is, you know, magical and wonderful mm-hmm. and the desire that people have. And it's not nefarious. Like the the desire to make that real is, is real with people. You want, you, it's not just like, I'm, I want to do a good job. You know, right. they want you to want to do a good job. And there are all these kind of training tactics that make you, you know, kind of cringe when you think about them. But what it really is, is like, People, you want to create an experience for kids, especially, but for families, because you have a family, mm-hmm. really, to have a space where they can just get away and pretend for a moment that 
everything is okay. Everything's safe. Everything's. And so the strange desire of being like down in the tunnels and being like, you know, F this, I hate this. Like this, <laughs> you know, I had to get 12 garbage cans. I'm sweating. I'm covered in it. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then getting up on stage as they call it. And then suddenly the overwhelming desire to be like, Hey kid, you having a good time? You dropped your ice cream. Here's a Pinocchio card to get a new one like that. Yeah. It was fascinating. And I feel like it informs a lot of my writing, the oscillation between the absolute hope that comes with Superman mm-hmm. and Wonder Woman and sometimes Batman, but Batman <laughs> and the definite, like the complete horror of, you know, the Joker and the people that say life is this. Mm-hmm. And it was a very interesting kind of cognitive dissonance and polarization of like the bad and the good all existing together and fighting all the time. Yeah. So it, yeah, it was a big part of, I think what kind of created my, sensibility as a writer yeah no i and i totally get that my my family and i we're huge uh disney fans like we have annual passes going to disney world and everything and and we we didn't grow up my wife and i didn't really grow up like being huge disney people like yeah we were disney fans of like the movies and things like that i think my wife's family went to disney world once a year or they went a lot as as kids i think i only went two or three times when i was a kid but when we had our son, you know, long story short, we decided to get Disney annual passes because my son's adopted and we tried to adopt another child. But that fell through because the agency went bankrupt and it's a lot of money to put out to go through adoption agency. And we didn't get any of that back when they went bankrupt. And so we just said instead of trying to adopt another child because we tried matching before it didn't work and we would have to fork out a lot more money this time to do it again. We just said, let's just, you know, celebrate the fact that we're going to be a, a three person family and take the, I think we got like some sort of tax break because of the failed adoption and all that. Let's take the money that we got from the tax refund for that and, and celebrate it by getting annual passes. And I tell you what, like watching my son go through Disney world for the first time and just, it's just like what you said. It's I think yeah. it's easy because you, you see the magic come alive through them and it's really contagious, you know, it is. and and he's still I mean, he still like that every time we go back, like he just still gets so excited about all of them. He still loves the characters and you can't you know, you can't help yourself, but just get excited with him. And there's just something oh. about this. So I, 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 I don't doubt you for one second that it, it's really inspired your writing with that, because there's I don't know what. Probably same thing with you. I don't know how they do it or what the secret ingredient is, but it's like every time you go in there, it's it's somehow it's magical. It's not like they do anything with like real magic or anything like that, but it just it's somehow it's transformed, you know? Yeah, I think it's just that all of us that you want a place where you know everything like everything is okay, you know. And I think it's right. one of the things that was inspiring about it when I was there too was that you know it's always been a safe space for everything. And mm-hmm. one of the things that was really interesting was that it attracts a lot of people that are discriminated against in conservative areas and that stuff too, for their mm-hmm. whatever lifestyle, you know, different lifestyles from LGBTQ to people that feel like they have, um, yeah, for people that have disability, all kinds of stuff. And it's a place where you, it, I loved working there and feeling like, it was a haven for people that wanted to feel accepted, you know, and right. Okay? And so, yes, it's this big corporate monster and it's, you know, it's all mm-hmm. these things, but when you're there and you're living it too, 
and you see people that have not felt safe in their lives and their choices and their, um, their nature, whatever it is, like whatever has, you know, whether it's their, um, things that have to do with how they were born or things they've chosen, all kinds of stuff in their lives, whether it's, you know, whatever it is that's made them feel like they don't have a safe place. Mm-hmm. Going there and and seeing them either work there or come visit there, there's you know there's something there's something very moving in that and something yeah. inspirational in that, regardless. And working there, it was definitely a it was it was a family. I loved it. I love the people. I still you know the people that I worked with. I'm still friendly and all that stuff with a bunch of them and mm-hmm. that you know you just you you're kind of in it together and there there's a feeling of like you're in this space that says everything's okay. So you kind of make it okay. No matter. Yeah. What. I love that. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you hear people say all the time too, but cast members is what really, you know, helps create that environment as well too. And so, yeah, it's, man, I tell you what, like, this is, <laughs> it's been a great conversation. I'm like comics. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think <laughs> at some point we should, but here's the other thing, Sky. Like I've been a very strong advocate of, I know social media has really, uh, directed people into uh, identifying like a niche, like what's their thing in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think anyone can also say that we're much more than just our thing or our niche. And that's one of the things I like about this interview so far and the things I want to do more is talk to you more about like things that's not about comics and get yeah, to sure. know, just to get to know Scott, just because like, like let, let's be honest like this is not your first comics interview you probably answer like you know very a lot of questions about comics all the time <laughs> but you know um i think it's it, this has been a lot of fun talking to you about like religion and and i, I had no idea oh, yeah, you were a disney world enjoy. cast member yeah <laughs> no i love it i, I mean yeah. again like you know nothing off limit i'm happy to talk anything in comic like you know i've i've spent a lot of years where i feel like you know when i was at dc there was a, um, on my part, especially in the early years, there mm-hmm. was, um, like when I got on Batman, I mean, I've said this many times, but I'll, I'll say it again. You know, I, my experience was like, I always wanted to be in comics. I took a detour in prose because I thought I couldn't, I knew I realized I couldn't draw well enough to be a comic writer artist. And I didn't know how to be a comic writer. And it was a really exciting time when I was in college um, in writing um, for young, like up and coming people and George Saunders and Dennis Johnson. There are all these like really interesting sort of short story writers and novelists and people trying new things. And so I fell into that. Mm-hmm. But I realized pretty quickly doing it um, and I, I was doing well with it, but I realized I didn't like it because it was so isolated and I missed comics and I read comics. And so when the chance came to pitch for comics, um, when a couple editors read some of the stuff I was writing and came to one of the readings that, I, you know, one of the things I was doing, I jumped, I really jumped at it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but my feeling when I got in was that I'd be working for 10 years, you know, in very small indie or very small superhero before I ever got a chance to do anything close to a Batman comic or any of that. I never expected to be, on detective or Batman. And those things came really fast, like immediately, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so quick that um, I genuinely felt for the first few years of my career, constant anxiety, constant panic, constant, (laughs) like, 
I am not worthy of being on these books. And I was not worthy of it. And just being like, all I'm going to do is try to prove to myself that I can write something that makes at least some sense of why, like I have something to say and I want to do it. And so my point, the thing I'm trying to get at is that those, those first three, four, five years, Mm -hmm. you know, all I did with interviews was, you know, what, what things I could say to convince people like that, this comic, that this thing was sincere, which it was. And this is why you read it. And this is why I'm here and what I love about DC. And, and I still feel that way. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I still think about superheroes. I talk to DC, I talk to, you know, everybody to Marvel, but you know, and, and and I love them and I'm going to go back and do superheroes at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm happy to also do interviews now at this point where I can relax a little bit and yeah. <laughs> enjoy. I like, you know, that, that period, as much as it was this kind of almost like near vertical ascent, you know, mm-hmm. where I was so priv- like lucky, you know, I was so lucky and I had so fortunate in that, but it's also something, a period that was really tough because it was always just, being plucked from like single A baseball to pitch in the World Series, where you're like, what? You know, <laughs> I'm sure. So, yeah. Um, all I did was talk about the series and stay on message about why this is this. Right. So it's very fun for me at this point in my career to be able to both creatively explore with all the stuff I'm working on. You know, with mm-hmm. um, best jacket between the books that we did at comiXology between, you know, the, the um, books we're doing at dark horse or, and, uh, and IDW to this kind of stuff, to being able to talk a little bit more and be a little more relaxed. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm happy with who I am in comics at this point. I feel very um, grateful and very lucky, but I don't mm-hmm. feel the same level of pressure and anxiety. I feel like, if I go back to superheroes or when, not if, but like I can go back without worrying the way I did before. And, you know, I've gotten to do all this indie stuff the last couple of years, especially that's really pushed me in directions that have let me be exploratory where, whether barnstormers, you know, like, which is historical fiction. It's, it's about a, a yeah. guy, the guy in the early 19 teens who's an escape mental patient who pretends to be an, a pilot because he kind of got a plane haphazardly from somebody else in the mental hospital um, and starts flying around the country uh, and meets somebody who's like a runaway bride. It's like the craziest story I've tried. <laughs> um, so it's way, it's no, no monsters, no superheroes. It's just stuff that's, you know, sci-fi with, with Francis Manipal on clear or horror with Greg Capullo on we have demons to, mm-hmm. you know, Westerns with Dan Panosian with Canary right. to be able to just kind of flex muscles. I always wanted to try and people have showed up and it's meant the world to me. So I just feel like I can, yeah, I love talking about everything and not being, not being self-conscious or anxious or, you know, worried, just being able to be like, let's, you know, anywhere you, anything you want, like, uh, and to talk about, it, I'm excited to talk about because it's, you know, I don't have to be that, you know, I promise you, like, I care about Batman. <laughs> oh, I know. You know yeah. Like, and I did, like, I do. I still, I have like 20 stories in my head for Batman until the day I die. I'm sure. Yeah. But I mean, I, I that, that was all the, the whole, the whole totality of like my 
my um sort of whole my, my whole project when it came to any interview was like i swear to you whoever is interviewing me like this is the best i can do it might not be your favorite, but I'm trying my best and I love these <laughs> characters and this is why you should read it. And that's it. And it yeah. was just that, you know, yeah. and when, by the time we got to metal, I could be a lot more like, you know what, let's have fun. Like this is what this is about. And Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's kind of, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a, the best stage of my career so far where I feel energized and excited i'm trying all kinds of stuff i can be out of the spotlight a little bit a little more low-key just trying things that i want without the same pressures of being on a major series that needs to hold everything up mm-hmm. and then i'm kind of like slowly feeling my way back into that being like maybe in a year or so maybe i will go back maybe i will try something that's you know yeah surprise go back in there and get back in that ring and be like you know maybe i still have it maybe i can still do it i don't know mm-hmm. well i i want to share with you since you you brought this up um with your work on batman the court of owls i i want to share with you my personal story with with that series there sure um growing up i'll be honest i can't remember if i read a lot of batman comics um uh, when i was a kid I, I remember there's probably a couple that my uncle had um, because he was the one that introduced me to comics. And I remember there was, um, you know, Bane Nightfall uh, or Batman Nightfall with Bane on the cover. Yeah. Um, I remember that capturing my attention, but I never read it. And, you know, just like most people, when I got to high school, I got away from reading comics. And then I got back into reading comics because of Marvel Unlimited back in 2016. And then that's when I decided that I wanted to, you know, start buying comics again and start reading them. Court of Owls was the first Batman comic I bought. I think it's the first one that I read. And I, I can't remember why I picked that one. I don't know if like someone suggested it to me or what. But I got to tell you, Scott, I was absolutely floored by that story. Thank you. It was probably, it was probably the best comic I could have picked to get back into reading, um, for not just Batman, but just for any comics. Like I've read comics, you know, before that, but that was the one where I was just so amazed by the story with it. Cause I loved how, um, some of the little tidbits, like using the contact lenses with the back computer to introduce the characters. <laughs> I thought that was a phenomenal way of, of doing that. That made a lot of sense. I love the, um, the, uh, not, it's a maze or, or I, I, labyrinth. Yeah. Labyrinth. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. The labyrinth where you had to like physically turn the book to read it. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I just, I remember thinking like, I've never had this sort of experience with a comic book before. <laughs> and so it's, it's been one of my favorites. And when you went to Memphis comic expo, I took that book and had you and Greg and Jonathan signed it because that was, and, and you guys are my first, comic uh creators signatures i never oh. got anything signed you three and mark wade was there at memphis comic expo as well too i hadn't signed yeah. daredevil number seven because that's the one with the daredevil cover with him in the uh, making the snow angels yeah um but yeah i mean that was a, because the, i just absolutely loved that book i thought it was great story writing i thought yeah. it was great art it it's um I, what I loved about it is that it was a new set of characters for the villain that I've never read before. You know, you, you know, you ask anybody who's never read comics, they know who the Joker is. They know who the Riddler is. They know Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, all of them. But the Court of Owls being kind of like this new villain team that we haven't seen before. 
it was just it was phenomenal story. It's one of my favorites. It's definitely one of the ones that I recommend to people if they're asking about any comic to get into. That one is one of them on the top of my list was because of how well the story is and how it gives people a story that they haven't read about um, in relation to where they've seen or or um you know heard about Batman in like popular media things like that. So it's oh, it's been one of my favorite books and it's it has a special place for me because Thank of you. that. I, it's funny cuz it really was like I had just come off of um feeling like um I had done detective for the year with Jock and um Francesco and uh I was just comfortable even though I was like still terrified. I was like well it's sick racing and these are artists that I knew like at this point as friends and mm-hmm. um, I felt good. And I was like, I can do another year of Dick Grayson. I have another story. And, and then they were like, um, well, we'd like you to move over to Batman. Tony uh, is Tony Daniel is, you know, going to swap and he wants to do detective and you can do this. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still going to be Dick Grayson, still work with Jock this. And they're like, well, you can't, you know, you got, we have a new artist for you. Um, and it's this guy, Greg Capullo. I'm like, Oh, Greg from spawn. And that's amazing. But okay. It's very different, you know? All right. Well, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like, it's not going to be Dick Grace. It's going to be Bruce Wayne. And I was like, Oh my God, I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> you know? And then they were like, okay, well, you know, just, just think of a story. And I had the beginning of, I had started to think of court of owls initially was something that I had thought about with Dick Grayson, but it had never gelled. So I kind of abandoned it where I had thought about, well, what if there was some group that like had targeted him when he was in the circus and it was part of Gotham and mm-hmm. because he was Batman now, but it was too redundant from the stuff I had done in Black Mirror and it felt weird. And then all of a sudden when, when Bruce came along, I was like, well, what am I so, what am I so intimidated by with this? And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, what, what how could I, what, what am I afraid of that? I want Batman. Cause that's always my approach. Right. I'm like, what am I worried about right now that I want this hero to make me brave in the face of, you know? So that's how I've approached every superhero comic I write, which is what, if you look at like any of them, like whether it's uh last night on earth or metal or whatever, it's usually what's something in the, in the zeitgeist at that moment that, or something mm-hmm. I'd read up for my kids or myself translated into like comic book lunacy. So, you know, for example, <laughs> um, death of the family is like, we were about to have our, our second kid, Emmett, at that time. And I was just terrified of like my career was taking off. I was, you know, never expected to make any money, never expected to be the one that was responsible for things, never mm-hmm. expected to have the popularity that I had suddenly found myself having felt completely overwhelmed by it and was like, the only way I can manage this is if I'm a bad dad and I'm only about this. And, and, um, that's why I was like, well, I'm going to write a story where Joker is the character that would hear that fear and say to Batman, you don't really want this family you have, like you don't really want kids. You don't behind this face is just more Joker behind your face is bat. Mm-hmm. But if you choose them, you're going to be weaker and old and mortal. You choose me, you'll be immortal, you know, which is writing and that. So right. that, that whole thing, it's always that it's always, how do I pick the thing I'm afraid of at this moment? And then create a story around a hero to make me, brave for that thing and so court of owls it was like all of a sudden they were like and i we didn't want to tell you this but it's going to be batman number one and i was like i quit i can't do that it's like too much you know and it was like no 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 you have to do it whatever yeah i remember walking around the city where i used to live and um where i where i had grown up and the whole neighborhood was different 
And uh, I just had this thing. I'm like, what do I, what do I want to, what do I want to, I happened to be there because DC, the, the um, offices back then were in New York and I had kind of wandered downtown to where I used to live. It was only, you know, less than a mile away. Mm-hmm. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, it's the whole legacy and it's the whole history and it's all of it. Like, I don't know how to write this book. Like, I don't know how to, I was just confident. I was just feeling good. And then all of a sudden it's like the whole history attacks me of Batman. Like, how do you write Bruce Wayne? And it's Batman number one. Well, you know, then you're like, well, how do I write that? Well, Bruce is feeling super confident and feeling good about himself. And the city is what he knows. And he's, and then all of a sudden the history is weaponized against them. Well, how do you do that? Well, there's a secret society that literally embo- is the embodiment of the history of Gotham saying to him, mm-hmm. the only way to write the story and to be a good writer for Batman is to accept that you'll, you will never be able to touch the hem of the kind of history of Gotham and its amazing stories and all of it. And once you accept that and let it go and mm-hmm. say, I'll never understand, you know, Gotham, if you're Batman and if you're the writer to say, I'll never really touch the hem of these things. I'm just going to respect them. Right. And, and that and be humble before them. That that's the point of that story is Batman, Bruce realizing I'm a better Batman for understanding. I don't know Gotham as well as I thought. I don't right. have control over it. I don't have, you know, so that that's where that came from was again, like just being like, where am I in my life at this moment? You know, <laughs> yeah. and every, everything's like that. All the stories that are like that, you know, all of them are, all of them are, you can kind of read my armchair psychology stuff. Yeah. Looking at them. <laughs> now there, there's one thing I want to ask you about the quarter vowels as well too. And this is in connection to um, the Matt Reeves, the Batman film. So yeah. when they, when they announced that there's a sequel, coming out there was a lot of discussion about who would be the next villain because this is a very you know more grounded you know less campy kind of feel to the movie and one of the top contenders uh you know fan favorites for batman the the sequel to the batman movie was to have the court of owls as the villain for that I'm kind of curious if, if you oh. saw that online and like what you thought about that, if that made you excited, if, if you had different feelings Greg about I, it. I mean, I text with Greg like every day, like we, I can show mm-hmm. like I, Greg, I was texting with him today. I was like, I miss you, bro. And he was like, me too. I was like, <laughs> you know, I've seen, he's like, I can't, he's not going to San Diego. And I was like, what? You know, oh. but, um, I know, but uh, anyway, and we text like stupid memes and stuff back and forth. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I was, I, Greg and I were all over that when that was coming out. I was like, did you see this? Like, because, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, again, like the, the hope was just to like survive, you know, <laughs> writing Batman. Yeah. It, the biggest, I'll tell you the biggest regret I have in like all of comics, honestly, like the entire out of everything is that I don't feel that I got to enjoy those early years. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had because I was so just so insecure and so convinced that like, you know, I, and I wasn't wrong to be like, I don't deserve this. And I don't, you know, I was right. Like I didn't, I kind of walked in and they gave it to me, but I mean, my whole determination was like, 
I am going to die on this book. Like I will, right. I will give everything for every, every, and I did. And I, I promise, like, I still try and do that. I just have a better life balance with it. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, at that point, um, and it was also, a, a, you know, DC was different then. And there was a lot of different tensions that aren't there anymore, but there were, there, you know, everything changes over time. There's different owners. Like back then it was in the city and it was going to move and then it moved. And then there was AT&T oversight and then it got bought by Discovery and there's different oversight. Mm-hmm. So there's always different politics at play. Right. Um, back then there was, there was just a lot of, you know, a lot of, I, I was, it was also like, um, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to be diplomatic because, because there was part of me that wanted to get fired, I think. And so <laughs> there was kind of like, if anyone argued, like if we had agreed on something and there was any argument about it, I was like ready to go to the mat over everything all the time. Right. And so it was always like, you know, <laughs> just, just a lot of, a lot of stress of like, they're not going to let it be called the court. Well, I'm going to drive in there and, and go into the office. And, you know, there was a lot of that. And so at this point, I still feel like I, I give it like the same amount. Like I'm very proud of the fact, and I know it sounds corny and, you know, maybe it'll make people not like me, but I mean it sincerely. I, I swear on my kids, like I have never let an issue on anything out the door that I have not tried I felt like I tried my best on like even stuff that you would think of as low stakes. Right. So like Mm. I'm doing a book with Raphael right now called duck and cover really love it. It's like about a bunch of kids in the 1950s that hide under their desks during a nuclear attack and strangely survive. Mm. And then all of a sudden find themselves in this post-apocalyptic environment where the Russians have invaded and they have robots and it's really fun. Mm -hmm. But Rafa, you know, like American vampires, 10 years, you win the Eisner, like it doesn't, you could, you could put out the book and just have fun. But I swear to you, both the people I gravitate towards like him and Greg and Jock and Francis and, you know, Francesco and Jamal and like, and Tula, like it's the same mentality, which is you feel very lucky to be in this business and you're never going to let something out the door that you don't think is, the best thing that you've made and, or at least the attempt to make it that. And so this issue will, my editor, Will Dennis was like, you know, this is the longest you've ever spent on a lettering issue. And I was like, I know, like, he's like, it's been a whole week. You're just going over it. And I'm like, he's like, it's really fine. Like you can let it go. <laughs> I feel like I, I trying something different with it. I wanted to feel like this very Stephen King nostalgia. Like I need, I want it to be pro. You know, the point I'm trying to make is, I can do the same amount of dedication that I did back then mm-hmm. without the stress back then. It was like, right. Oh, I can't let it out the door and let it's the best unless it's the best. And I have to, you know, I have to worry and stress about it all the time. I'm not doing it and it'll mess up my family life and my mm-hmm. relationships with my editors and all of it. And now I can still give the same and be like, I'm not letting it out the door until I feel sorry. Well, it's going to be late a week but I can do it without being like a mess, you know, right. yeah. back yeah. then it was a mess, you know, I was like a mess. Well, and it sounded like you had a little bit of like imposter syndrome going on as well too, when you were oh, talking yeah. about, yeah, like how you didn't deserve 
the the job to begin with and everything. But it's like you have a lot of stuff that was happening then. And, and I can imagine the pressures being on it. Like, you know, just like what, how you describe it is, is, you know, being kind of new to it and, and, uh, and, you know, going in like with the heavy hitters, just like how you describe going from, you know, a farming league to pitching in the world series and stuff like that. That's a lot of, of pressure to kind of, you know, yeah. prove yourself in that. I mean, sort it was of environment. crazy. It was like, cause back then Batman hadn't been, had a number one in 70 years. And they yeah. were like, you're the number one. And I was like, <laughs> and then the, and then meanwhile, Grant Morrison was on Batman Inc. And like, you know, you're around these giants everywhere was a giant on the new. Mm-hmm. It's like Azarello over here and George Perez doing, you know, Superman. And I'm like, I'm on Batman. This makes no sense. It was like, you know, <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Everywhere was someone that I had like grown up looking up to Gail and everyone was everywhere. Jeff Johns, obviously everybody was like, I'm like, how am I doing this? So, mm-hmm. you know, there's that. And then there's, there's imposter syndrome. And one of the nice things was though, all those, like all the people that you'd be intimidated by for the most part, there are a couple people that are whatever, but most of the comic creators that you'd think, you know, are these big legends and all that, they're very kind and they were very nice to me. And I remember early in those years, Grant was in, always very nice. Grant always pulled me aside to be like, how are you doing? And tell me oh, your nice. story. And I remember telling him the, uh, the um, Black Mirror before I did it, like I was nobody. And he took the time in San Diego when they had brought me there for American Vampire. Um, to tell him what I was doing in Black Mirror. And he told me all about what he was doing in Batman Inc. And he was so kind. And he did that every time I saw him. You know, he was always the nicest guy. And mm-hmm. the same thing with um, uh, Azarello, the same thing. He walked me through a lot of stuff. The same thing with uh, 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 George Perez. Like, they were, they were just super nice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I remember Neil Gaiman sitting with him one of those very early years at a dinner that Vertigo had set up in we were in uh, San Francisco for this crazy thing. It's not, it was a really weird weekend. It was like me, Becky Cloonan and Jared way and all these people like doing Vertigo stuff and Neil Gaiman. And, Mm -hmm. and it was amazing. It was like one of the best weekends of my career. And I remember sitting with him and he's like, you look really nervous. And I was like, I'm so nervous. I'm on Batman. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, he's like, Scott, (laughs) Right now you're worried you're not good enough. And in a few years, you're just going to be worried you used to be better. And that's all there ever is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And it made me feel so like calm and comforted, honestly, to hear this horrible thing. Because I was like, if that's the way you feel, then like this is totally normal to always have imposter syndrome until then you have the worries like, oh, I used to be better than I am now. And that's it. And Right. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel very, um, very grateful to the people that back then, a lot of the pros were very nice. I feel like it set an example that, um, it's hard to live up to, but right now I feel like a lot of my, the teaching and the stuff that I'm trying to do through Substack is, you know, trying to pay that forward a little bit, at least, like you know, comics is, is awesome and welcoming and, it's certainly, it's super stressful. And we had the whole comics broke me. Like I, you know, there's a ton of stuff that's wrong with comics and mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, you know, there's, there's companies that are predatory companies that don't pay like, and there's oh, yeah. heart, heartbreak everywhere. 
Yeah. There, is. there always was. I mean, there was when I was there. It was coming up too, believe me. Like it was not, it was not an easy environment, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's such a great community of, of creators and big new, like, and it's such a kind of be yourself, write the things you want. It's hard to find those kinds of spaces that are, there are as inclusive and as encouraging as comics is um, mm-hmm. for all the bad players. There's so many more good players that it, it is. It makes me really happy to be a part of it. It really does. It's hokey. All of it sounds hokey like a Hallmark card, but I mean it. It's like sincere. Yeah. You know? No. And I honestly, I believe you. Like I said, I mean, you uh, in person a couple of times, you're a very genuine person. So I definitely believe you. Um and what's funny is I, I know we're like around we've been talking for an hour. We've hardly touched about comics. I, I had yeah, again, you can ask me anything you want about. Yeah, we could talk. I should promote some stuff. I feel like in some way. Oh, no, no, no. Honestly, we've, we've had some great conversations. And I, I think and, and like I said, one of the things I've been wanting to do is, you know, get to know Scott kind of like outside of comics. We, we had a good portion of talking about comics and everything. Um, but, you know, I also had like a, a whole list of questions I was going to ask you. We didn't even get to that because we've been having some great conversations about almost everything under the sun. Um, so what I want to do, if, if this is okay with you, is I want to, um, you know, be cognizant of your time and, and listeners' time, stuff like that, is um, yeah. kind of go to the final segment of the show, which is usually we talk about the comics that we're reading. Um, yeah, sure. Awesome. So before we get into that, I uh, just want to remind everybody that the Caption Life is part of Comic Watch, and we're always looking for reviewers for um, comics, TV, movies, anime, gaming. So if you're interested in being a reviewer, we're a group of volunteers that absolutely love doing this. Um, so if you're interested, I will have a link to the application uh, in the show notes below. And we get back to people within, I think, seven days when they apply. And then next episode, next week, is going to be a review of Flashpoint with Chad Burdett, who is a content manager over at Comic Watch as well, too. So that's what you can expect for next week. And let's dive into the comics we're reading. Uh, first thing we're going to do is we're going to share what the listeners are reading. And then, Scott, I'll ask you what you're reading, and then I'll share what I'm reading as well. So, yeah, sure. Uh, awesome. So with at Comic Watch, uh, Tyler Davis said that he is reading Peter David's first go at Spider-Man 2099. And I've been reading some random issues of Marvel Team-Up and Marvel 2-in-1 I found uh, in my LCS dollar bin. I'm on a real Marvel kick right now, but my favorite weekly poll right now has to be Black Cloak, uh, which I'm finally caught up on. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I just learned about Marvel 201, like just recently as well, too. So I'm, I'm always I love doing this show for a number of reasons. But one of them is I'm learning from other people um, yeah. from doing this. And so it's a lot of fun kind of hearing this from from people. Um, Anthony Bergamini from Comic Watch said, I've been reading all of Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, and almost done with the G. Willow Wilson stuff. I'm trying to get through all of Champions as well, too. And I got to say, I love G. Willow Wilson's Miss Marvel. That was the one I read on Marvel Unlimited, and I couldn't put it down. Like, I, I kept reading the next issue after the next issue. It was really, really good. So, yeah, he always had so many. I feel like one of the most underrated series is Air that she did back when mm. that was when I was starting at Vertigo and it's over there. And it's if you haven't read that, like there she's done a ton of stuff. It's like Miss Marvel is amazing and I everyone should read it, but I think let it be a rabbit hole for you to discover all of her other stuff too, because she's done it. Oh yeah. She she does some great stuff. Yeah. Well and and um, you know, case in point, 
she's writing Poison Ivy, and that was supposed to be a limited series, and they you know made that into ongoing because it's been yeah. so popular, and it's really well written. Yeah, I, I absolutely love her work. In our Illuminacasters Discord channel, uh, Year of the Collector said. Um, for next week, he's pulling Scarlet Witch Annual Number One. Absolutely love what Orlando and Pacelli have been doing with Wanda. For DC, I got to go with Wonder Woman Number Eight Hundred. It's the final issue, and we get to meet Diana's daughter Trinity. Trinity, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been in uh, that's been hitting social media for the last few weeks as well too. So that'll be a fun one. Yeah, I can say I've read Tom uh, Tom's Wonder Woman uh, mm-hmm. for September. And it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was like, I, I he sent it to me and I read it. I was like, Tom, this is one of the best things I've read. And I mean, it's going to be, it's going to blow people away. It's so good. I bet. And then Ken from the ODPH podcast said, click, click, boom. Number one by Image Comics, a very cool revenge mystery story. And rereading Canary by Snyder and Penelison, oh, uh, Comicsology originals and prep for the epic horror Western finale coming soon. So. Very proud of the finale. It's yeah. like conventional. So it's kind of like True Detective in the Old West. It's like very cosmic horror in a Western. But mm-hmm. it's why it's like if I had to write a Western, why is it so hard to write them right now with the way things are? And it's kind of like it felt like it had to be horror too. And it just fit. And all of a sudden it all clicks where it was like, this is why. So I, I love it. It's one of my favorite series that I've done. So. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to reading that. That's awesome. So, Scott, what uh, comics are you currently reading right now? Or, or or if you have a pull list or anything like that? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I like superhero stuff that I'm reading that I'm really enjoying. I mean, Superman, I think, is like a real renaissance book right now. I knew what Josh had planned on that book with um, Jamal for a while. And then uh, reading it in action is just so good. I mean, his plans are amazing. Um, I really like, I mean, I love Chip's Batman, uh, and obviously Jorge is like, you know, a brother in arms. I love Jorge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so them, um, also superhero wise, I feel like, um, I've been reading a lot of indie stuff, honestly, like, yeah. like what? I'm coming off of a period, um, to be frank, where I couldn't read anything while I was in that, which is writer's room. Um, mm. So I was in this, which is I'm show running the <laughs> with a kosher. I'm show running with another amazing um, a writer. I love this woman, Marion Dare, who's fantastic. She wrote a bunch of Better Call Saul and Curb Your Enthusiasm. And she show ran Echo for Marvel, which is coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're doing the room for witches and uh, it's Amazon and it's the same The you know, that the, they did Invincible. And so it's like that sort of our super R rated jocks art animated. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I have like, I just so love this thing. Um, yeah. But um, the work was out of control where um, I, I knew it was going to be a lot, but it is a lot. Like you were there from 9 a.m. L.A. time. So 12 until, you know, 6 p.m. <laughs> like this time. And then doing notes afterwards, doing notes before prepping five days a week that for five months, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Which again, it's like a normal job. But the the issue is like, I didn't, when I started it, I didn't realize it was going to be that much because I had done a mini room where it was so, kind of supposed to be similar, but where they got us the green light to, to be on TV. But um, while I was show running that, 
it was more casual and it was, it was much more manageable. And I just didn't put it together where I was like, we were only making four episodes in that room, even though we had kind of the same amount of time, Mm -hmm. almost the same. We have more weeks here, but this is like making the whole season and planning the next season. And like, you know, it's much more like intense with more writers, more everything. And it's real. It's like going to be on TV. So the whole thing made it so that like between March and, you know, at the end of April from, from those couple, I haven't like, I totally didn't read anything. So I'm just like <laughs> now, but the things that I did keep up with and read, I read a lot of indie stuff just because I felt like um, I didn't need to know continuity, you know, cause I couldn't keep up. Right. With so the books that I really loved, I mean, I knew world tree ahead of time. Cause I've read James's stuff, you know, he's like my best friend. And one of my, I mean, obviously one of my best friends is with Greg and Jock and, Mm-hmm. Um, and Tony, but the, uh, that book is out of control. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously something is killing children department of truth. Um, but other books I really liked, um, uh, local man by Tony fleeks and, uh, and, uh, Tim Seeley. I feel like it's flying under the radar, but it's awesome. It's over at image. Yeah. Um, the forge, the Greg Rucka book. I really love it's only a couple issues in, but I think it's, um, really fantastic and uh um again like one of those books that flies under the radar kelly thompson black cloak like you were saying um i think that's like a super groundbreaking book Mm -hmm. Um, what else i'm trying to think like what else you might not be reading that like caught me off um off thing what do i have right here (laughs) I'm looking, oh, it's all my student stuff, students stuff. <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. Those, those are just some things off the top of my head um, that I, I really liked. Uh, um, Jeff Lemire, Phantom Road. I think that's, that's, mm-hmm. that I'm, I've been hearing great things about that one too. Yeah. Yeah. His whole, his whole, the whole universe he's creating over there is, is pretty fantastic. And uh, yeah, I yeah. don't know. That's, that's, that's those are the things, and I'll tell you. Check out Edenwood by Tony in um, September. That book's going to be bonkers. I love it. It's like demon hunting and witches and all kinds of monster mm-hmm. by Tony Daniel. So yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of these, and I've, I've read a couple of them. Um, I agree with you. I I love indie books because as much as I love DC and Marvel, like X-Men is one of my favorite properties at the same time, there's just so much going on that it's kind of hard to keep up with all those things. So one of the nice things about the, the indie stuff is that just like what you were mentioning before, it's all these self-contained stories that you don't necessarily need to read all (laughs) these things or kind of know all this history of those things. So I absolutely um, love indies for those and one of the things one of the books I just ran into that I read that I absolutely fell in love with is Battle Chasers which I didn't hear oh, about yeah. it until someone mentioned it um, and um, didn't realize like you know it was written like like issues one through nine was written like years ago I think like the last one was yeah. back in 2001 and then it like kicked up and it's a really good issue. And, and it's, it's, I haven't read one through nine yet, but just reading that one was just a lot of fun and really exciting, really good that I feel like I can go back and read one through nine and not, not feel like it's going to be a burden to, to read all those things. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, I just feel like they're again, like they're such a rich landscape right now of, in the indie world where there's just like, you know, just, it, it feels as though it's like a, I don't know. I mean, I know people complain there's almost like too much 
Um, but for me, I, I just feel like it's, I don't know, like it kind of, I, I came up at a time when I felt like, you know, you either did Marvel or DC and indie stuff was kind of, you know, you did image and, and that was it. Like it was, it was relegated to mm-hmm. like, there weren't a lot of spaces. And so now people will be like, there's so many books. I don't know what to read. Right. And you're like, That's amazing thing. Like, yeah. I mean, that, you can say the same thing about regular books. <laughs> it's like, it's so great to be able to be in a space where it's like you, you have too many books to read and mm-hmm. you can pick from a million different things that are, you know, really strong and out there. And, you know, some things are super indie where it's about like a breakup at a Brooklyn cafe and some things are like out of control, bombastic, like mm-hmm. Robert's Void Rivals. And that's another book that I'm excited. I just read and spoke to him yesterday about like all the cool stuff they're doing over at Skybound between Transformers and G.I. Joe. And yeah, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, they're awesome. So yeah. you can see something like that. That's like the height of epic whatever. And that's mm-hmm. still indie and it's cool. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just, it's a, it's a, it's this massive, robust landscape that wasn't there when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I oh, know it, it's, and that's what I like about a lot of the indies as well too, is um, there's a lot more stories. There's, there's like genres for everything basically. Whereas, yeah. you know, the longest time comics were, you know, superheroes because it sold for the longest time. And now there's all these, you know, genres, just like how you have with books or TVs and movies that there's there's horror comics, there's gaming comics, there's, you know, you name a genre, there's a comic version of that out there somewhere. And so there's definitely something for everyone when when we talk about, you know, going beyond, you know, the major two, as people say, and going into the indies where you can, you know, read a book and find something that you'll actually really enjoy because of the genre and the style of writing and the art and everything. Yeah. And one more book that I forgot that I really want to mention is like everything that Kyle Higgins is doing with the Massiverse. Yes. It's such an inspiring thing to me to see someone not only create like a flagship book for a universe, but then invite in Mm -hmm. so many cool creators and the way that he structured his deal with them where they really own a piece of each book is a, a very forward thinking, progressive, fair, honest, really cool way of building yeah. out this whole sort of line of things. And I'm really in awe of what he's able to do with the universe creatively, but also his very daring and acrobatic kind of marketing stuff where it's like, this book is, has black light this, and this book has yes. this, you know, it's, pick which person is going to be the superhero call in like, you know, Jason Todd, <laughs> whatever, like, all of it's he's on fire with it. So that is definitely an area that whole um, series of books to me is something that's super impressive. And, and yes. I love I'd be remiss not to mention it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really enjoying radiant black and who is no one is a really yeah, great who one. Is no got, one in a, yeah. And a rogue son. That one too is rogue son. Uh, Infernal go red. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are really good. Yeah, I agree. I, I've been reading those and, and they're they're fantastic. I, again, just another example, like how there's so many great stories out there. Kyle, I was talking to him today on the phone, actually. It was funny. And he was like, uh, how did it come up? He was like, I was I was complaining about my teenage son a little bit, like in a way where it's like <laughs> he's a teenager and he's 16 and, and, you know, he's asleep at noon and whatever. It's summer and. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah. He was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jack's 16? I was like, yeah. He's like, you know, we did our first book together. He was like, 
three. And I was like, what? And I was like, <laughs> it was like, he was two, actually. You know, and I was yeah. crazy. I was like, so we were j- joking around today just about like Face of Gotham and all the stuff we've been through. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's fun to have people at this point in your career too, where you're like, have you really been through it? Like you knew me when I was two kids less, you know? And you yeah. knew me, I knew you when, you know, <laughs> you were like a baby. So <laughs> it's nice. I mean, James was like, that's what's so funny is like, you know, we've been, we've all been friends at this, like it through marriages and divorces sometimes and children and pets and, you know, regime changes galore, like people, <laughs> you know, whole companies being fired and redone. And, right. you know, I, I knew James, James was my student when I was like a 20 something year old adjunct teacher and he was you know an undergraduate and then we've been friends 15 years and now he's like my favorite writer in the stands and it's nice it's nice to be able to sean to like look around at this point in your career and be like you just you're surrounded by people you admire and you know you're inspired by and who you know and respect and your friends and that stuff and mm-hmm. and for the early years where it felt like things were out of control where for me at least like i was just a ball of anxiety and there's nothing that I, I mean, the things I'm embarrassed of that I did at that age or that stage of my career, I still, I don't stand by them, but like, it was basically always like yelling at Dan DiDio or yelling at Bob Harris or freaking out in a way that was like, you know, ready being like, like trying to get fired by yelling at my bosses. So <laughs> it's more like horrible, you know, it wasn't, I don't feel like I was, there's, there's not a lot from that period at all that I feel like I was you know, that I look back on and feel really super embarrassed by in some way. So don't get me wrong. Right. But um, even moving past that stage, you know, being able to look around now at the stage, being past all of that anxiety and stress and bad behavior, I feel like you can, it's a nice, nice moment, you know, in my yeah. career life. I feel like it's, you can look around and be happy about for all the problems in comics, for all the things that are to, really love the community and feel like it's something really special, you know, and that you love the people you're surrounded by. It's nice. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Scott, thanks for coming on the show again. Before I let you go, um, where can people find you and your work online? Where can they, you know, connect with you at? Yeah, well, I have like, so, I mean, I'm on social media, I'm on Twitter and my DMs are always open and I'm on Instagram and that stuff where I post more about my kids and that and all of those things. Um, but, uh, and my handle is snyder1835, which is Elvis's birthday is one. <laughs> That's why that, if you ask, but, the, um, uh, uh, I also, I started, a. um, teaching a class and started a newsletter on Substack. So it's called mm-hmm. best jacket, which is my imprint or our, you can look up our best jacket or best jacket press. And, um, we've been doing the newsletter now for a couple of years. There's, there's a lot of them. It's, I do it twice a week or, um, sometimes once, but usually twice I record them in audio so you can listen to it or you can read it and there's links and I recommend comics, but I talk about, you know, what, um, I've been reading and also craft stuff. And I teach a class through that too. So about once a month we do a, a live class that then if you subscribe to the newsletter, um, you can get 
um, all the ones we've done in the past, all 20 something classes so far about character building or conflict. And I love it. It's a, I like, it's a very fun thing for me, even though I have like, I don't have a lot of time, but I feel as though it's like, I wouldn't give it up for anything. So yeah. you can find me over there and we're about to launch our new site for it. Actually. I think it's, I think it's just like in, in two weeks, we're launching a new version of the site that has like merch and you can order all of our books and all that kind of stuff. So it's all through third eye comics down in Baltimore. They're awesome. You should mm-hmm. check them out. Um, but they're the ones powering the site and anything you order is from their store. So I'm really through their store. So I really love being partnered with them. They're great. That's awesome. Well, great. Well, I'll make sure to put uh, links to those in the show notes below as well, too. So, Scott, thanks again for coming on the show. This has been a blast. I love interviewing you and and talking to you about comics and non-comics related stuff. Um, But thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, anytime, Sean. It was a pleasure, man. This was a great interview. I love doing it. I'll do it again anytime you want. And that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. I hope you enjoyed listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout-out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. 